Uh, my name is David. I'm the lead pastor here at Current. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Proverbs uh, chapter 18. We're going to be looking at, at, at that today. I don't know what to do with the capo. Thanks, Chris. Um, we, and, and while you guys are turning there, so basically Proverbs, if, if, uh, if you need help finding it, if you have your physical Bible app, you can obviously figure it out. Um, if you have your physical Bible, just turn to the very middle, and then if, if you see Psalms, which is actually the exact middle, just move, move uh, forward one book. Uh, we'll be looking at chapter 18 of Proverbs. Um, but before, while you're doing that, uh, I thought I'd mention a couple of fun things that have been happening uh, recently. Yesterday was the Freedom House Gala that we've been talking about for so long. And we had a, a team of folks show up and uh, do a number of things. This team, I think, is the one that was uh, doing registration. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun, uh, just kind of checking people in, getting them situated for, for the gala. There was another team that, that got there earlier and was setting up uh, decorations that were also actually, I think, auctioned off or at least uh, a part of the fundraising effort. Um, and then there was uh, also more folks who came uh, to attend the event itself and uh, uh, win some things and, and support a good cause. Freedom House, if you, if you aren't aware, is a ministry that we've, we've been a part of uh, partnering with, supporting in, in humble ways from, from the beginning uh, of this church uh, startup. Um, and it's an organization that is combating human trafficking in the Bay Area. If you don't know anything about this issue, it's pervasive. It's, it's more than we, you know, they were talking about the analogy of a, we, we, what we little we do understand, which is it's happening a lot in the Bay Area, is only the tip of the iceberg. And so this is one of those things where this ministry, this, this organization is, is trying to work alongside uh, survivors of this, people who've kind of been rescued out of that uh, horrible thing. Um, and so actually some of the folks who shared last night were survivors. Needless to say, there were not many dry eyes uh, when you go there. Uh, but I do want to call out Miranda Hudson uh, especially. Can we give her a hand? She's been kind of like the champion. Um, you got to at least wave, Miranda, so they see. There you go. Uh, Miranda is quietly but, uh, but uh, surely just, just behind the scenes uh, just doing a, a great work there. So thank you for all that you've, you've done, Miranda, set that up. Um, the other fun thing I thought I'd share with you is, is last week, if you were here, we announced our first global partner uh, that we have as a church. Uh, you guys remember if you were here back in, uh, at, uh, in December of last year, we did an impact initiative fund, kind of raising funds for the sake of augmenting our efforts to uh, do outreach and service projects, both in the community and as God uh, grows the church and grows our resources uh, beyond just our immediate uh, community. And so we've, we were able to raise more than we thought we were going to raise last year. We, we set a goal of 15000 and actually, by God's grace, the church family raised 30000 And so we've been, I don't know, scrambling's not the right word, but we've been trying, how do we steward these funds faithfully uh, as, as, and consider what God might be using, uh, wanting to use those funds for as a church? And one of the folks that we got to know, actually, randomly, although we think of it more as kind of God-ordained uh, 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 circumstances was this guy uh, Michalis, if I'm saying his last name. I'm not going to even try to say his last name there. I'll have trouble with it. Uh, he's a uh, he and his wife uh, lead a church in uh, actually a couple churches now. They're starting more churches in Greece, working specifically with refu- uh, Syrian refugees. Um, and if you know anything about Greece, it's kind of been the main receiver of that, while also simultaneously having their issues with. Uh, the, the finances, the, you know, you know all that, that's going on with Greece, Greek in terms of, of that. Um, and so we were able to, uh, last week, Cindy mentioned, our, our executive director mentioned that we uh, are sending them $5,000 to help out with two things. One, gift uh, kids, Syrian uh, refugee kids, about 400, 500 folks, uh, kids, uh, Christmas gifts this, this coming year, and then also to help them do an Arabic family camp that they're working on. So I wanted to read an email. He came back, and it's it kind of fun to hear. He said, Dear Current Silicon Valley Church, 
This is such a great encouragement to us. There's a lot of exclamation marks. I'm not going to keep highlighting them, but know that that's kind of his, his posture here in the email. Thank you for your sacrificial giving. It might not seem like a lot to you. I'd said in my note, wish we could give more, um, but it is big to us. Actually, that gave us the green light to start planning for the refugee camp in, in August because we did not have any funding for that so far. You should see Zaiden's face, our Syrian leader, when I told him. Yes, it really feels like a God-ordained occasion when we got to meet each other. After saying a few more things about looking forward to sharing more, many blessings, Michalis. So a lot of fun things that the Lord is allowing us to be a part of. Uh, if it's okay, let me go ahead and pray for them, pray for Freedom House, and then uh, as we open the word for us, um, as, we, as we study. Father, thank you for Michalis and his family, the, the ministry team that you have there, uh, hands and feet, boots on the ground, loving Syrian refugees who are just facing incredible uh, circumstances, hardships. Um, bless them. Bless their efforts. Lord, thank you that you've allowed us to partner with them in, uh, in a small, humble way. Lord, as you did with that little kid's loaves and fish, would you multiply this for them, that they would see much uh, tangible fruit of, of blessing uh, these folks that they're working with, but also spiritual, that they'd be able to share the gospel and people would receive the good news of Jesus. Lord, thank you also for Freedom House, Jada, the, the founder of that and, and the ministry that she leads. Bless them. I pray that, that last night's gala would, would, will have raised a lot, a lot and it would, would more than meet their needs. And Father, we pray alongside what Jada was sharing last night that soon the ministry that she's doing, that organization, would no longer be needed. Um, but again, bless them. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of that in small ways. And Lord, now as we, as we look at your word, as we study your word, would you give us your spirit? Would you help us to hear from you and be touched by you? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, all right. So if you have your Bibles open, we're looking at Proverbs chapter 18. Uh, a little uh, disclaimer here at the top. Uh, Proverbs is kind of a collection of wise sayings. So most texts, when we come to it, kind of read through verse by verse, sentence by sentence. Proverbs, you, you don't always get to do that. You kind of have to like jump around a little bit. But having said that, we're looking at one chapter in uh, more specifically, and there's a cluster, a theme here. And so if, if I'm skipping around, that's why. I mean, it's kind of general practice. And if you're trying to figure out where, you, where I am in your Bible, just look up at the screen, you'll see it. So actually, starting at the very end of chapter uh, 17, going into chapter 18. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent, and discerning if they hold their tongues. Proverbs 18, starting at verse 2, fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. The words of the mouth are deep waters, but the fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. The lips of fools bring them strife, and their mouths invite a beating. The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lives. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. The heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. In a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. And then the last two verses, verses 20 and 21, from the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. 
Uh, a few weeks ago, I was thinking, hey, since we're starting this relationship series that we've been calling Thriving in Relationship, it'd probably be good for me to read a book on relationships. Now, I don't love reading books on relationships. I'm just going to be full disclosure. I find them cheesy, and I'm just like, I don't want to. But I'm like, we're doing a series on relationships. I probably should get some perspective on it, maybe a sermon illustration or two or whatever. So I read a book that I've been stiff-arming for a number of years. I didn't want to read it for a long time. I've been benefiting from it conceptually. You don't have to read the book to, to really glean from it conceptually, but I didn't want to read it, so I'm going ahead and finally going to read it. Uh, and I, I imagine a lot of you guys know this book. It's a New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages. Have you heard of it? Uh, Dr. Chapman. I didn't want to read it, but I was like, you know what, I'm going to read it. I ended up reading it, and it's really helpful, uh, and I, I do recommend it. Um, conceptually, uh, it, the major premise of it is that we all receive and give love. We tend to do so in, in different ways. We, we, we tend to receive and we tend to offer love to others in different ways. So we need to learn each other's love languages is kind of the deal of what he's trying to say. And I'm not going to go into the whole book because that's not my, my, my point here. But he talks about, for instance, there's words of affirmation. There's this idea of a lot of folks either really feel loved when they receive words of encouragement or affirmation, or that's their love language in terms of giving it to others, even if the other person doesn't feel like it's very encouraging, they're just going to do that because that's their way of loving. There's the idea of quality, time, and so on and so forth, okay? Um, well, anyways, I was, I, was, I was reading this book, and I came across uh, uh, an example that Dr. Chapman was using that really, that really struck, uh, struck me. Uh, a guy who had been, uh, who had, uh, he had been talking with a little bit came into his office one day and said, Dr. Chapman, I have been a fool. And Dr. Chapman was like, why don't you tell me about it? And he said, I've been married for 20 years, and I've been a fool because over these 20 years of marriage, my wife would bring, has, it, like, brings things to me that she wants to work through, various things that she's either dealing with at, in the workplace or in a social uh, uh, a group over here. She wants to process, she wants to work it through, and my response for 20 years has been, Hey, great. Oh, okay, I hear that. Here's what you need to do. My response, Dr. Chapman, has always been, here's what you need to do to fix it. He's like, I feel like I've been a fool because that hasn't been working for 20 years. He's like, it's, just, it's created a lot of frustration. She'd come in, we'd work it through, and she'd leave. I don't know if that really feels satisfactory, but okay. And, and then a couple days later, she'd come back and bring it up to, to this, this guy, and, and uh, he'd be like, why are we still talking about this? Like, well, it's still, I'm still working through. Did you do what I said? Well, it's not that simple. It's not like, well, go and do what I said, and then we'll talk about it. Okay, it sounds like you guys are vibing with this example. You probably see where I'm going. And so he's just like, I've just been a fool. I've been a fool because I realized oh, 20 years into this that my wife hasn't been so much asking for fix it, how to fix things. But it's been such that I can work, like that, so that I can work it through with her, that I can enter to, that I can listen to her. Uh, she had been frustrated. He had been frustrated. How come she's not getting it? How come he's not getting it? And he realized at the end of the day, it's, it's because he didn't realize how he didn't know how best to listen to her. Now I'm reading that, and I had to stop, and I let out an audible groan. You ever do this when you read? You either laugh out loud or like no one was around me, which is probably less embarrassing for me. But I let out a, a loud groan, okay? And I wish I had been groaning at the book because that book, that, that example that I gave, this guy coming into Dr. Chapman's office and saying this, is like a classic example in any relationship book. I mean, here I am as a, as a, as a pastor, say, working with couples in premarital counseling and that sort of thing. I'll use examples like that to distinguish between, you know, how communication styles differ. 
It's not always the guy, but typically the guy is like a fix-it mindset, and the gal, tip, not always the gal is like, well, no, I just want to, I just gotta, I'm working this through. Help me work this through. I wanted to groan because it's such a cliche of an example, but I was groaning at myself. Because here I am reading this book, and I'm listening to this guy say he was a fool. I was like, dang it, that's me. Like right then and there. Like going through something with Cindy, and she just was working through something, wanted to just kind of process it, and my whole mindset, my whole response had been, oh, you just need to do this and this. Why, why are we still talking about this? Have you ever had a moment like that where you're just like, oh, my goodness. Like, that was me in that moment. And I think it highlights something for us with that example and then, and then what we're going to be looking at today in the text, that good listening is so important, isn't it? Listening is, is so vitally important to relationships. Um, we're continuing this Thriving in Relationships series where we're looking at some of the, the timeless, practical wisdom the Bible has to share, either in, in helping strengthen relationships that are, that, are, that are healthy or bringing health into relationships that maybe aren't so uh, healthy. And what I want to talk about today is, is what I'm calling the gift of listening. Okay, listening is just so important. I've, I've, I've heard it said, listening is the key to all effective communication. Uh, I think that's about right. Listening is, is, is pretty important. But it's also so incredibly to not get. It's so incredibly to miss entirely. But here's the good news. I think we can say, you know, hearing is kind of the physical ability, but listening is a skill that we can acquire, a skill that we can develop. And I think uh, what we're looking at today is, is chock full of helping us understand how to, how to be better listeners. Um, uh, we are looking at chapter 18 of the book of Proverbs, what many biblical scholars call the listening chapter of the Bible. Uh, it's written by King Solomon. Uh, King Solomon was the son of King David, and he's now King Solomon, this, this, this guy who's considered the wisest person to ever live, is writing to his son, his sons, his children, helping them be trained up to live life uh, with wisdom. That's really the overarching uh, thought, theme throughout the whole book is wisdom. This is the book of wisdom. More specifically, uh, Solomon is saying, choose wisdom. Choose wisdom. In contrast to foolishness, don't be a fool is what he's regularly saying. And if you look at throughout the whole, there's 31 chapters of Proverbs, Proverbs, Proverbs. Proverbs. He He talks about foolishness a lot. There's a lot of nuance to say about it. But if you really want to break down what it is to be a fool and into kind of like one thought, it's to resist training. It's to say, I've got it all figured out. I, don't, I, I know best, and I don't need any help in that. That's, that's essentially what the book of the, the wisest guy to ever live says. That's foolishness. Choose wisdom. Choose wisdom, which means you've got to work at it. You've got to think about it. You've got to, kind of, you've got to, you've, you've got to grow in it. Um, even when, especially when you think you've got to figure it out. Um, so we're going to be looking at the gift of wisdom. So to jump into this, looking at the first few verses, uh, first thought here is it's, it's, it's a human tendency to want to talk when really we should be listening. Uh, verses 27 and 28 of, of chapter uh, 17 of the book of Proverbs says, The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. That reminds me of uh, Abraham's, Abraham Lincoln's witty saying, it's better to keep your mouth shut and let them think you a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. What's Solomon saying in these Proverbs? He's saying sometimes it's better not to talk. Sometimes it's better not to talk. Let's be real, that can be hard, can it not? Uh, just to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to talk here. I just I need to listen. That can be hard. Why? Sometimes we don't agree with what's being said. Sometimes what's being said is, puts us a little bit on edge. Sometimes what's being said gets our, 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 our blood to boil a little bit. And actually, I think that's what Solomon's saying here when you look down at verse 27. Uh, is it 17? Yeah, verse 27, chapter 17. Whoever has understanding is even-tempered. That word literally means cool-spirited. Uh, contrast that to a person who is hot-spirited. Uh, somebody who's hot-spirited is excitable and patient, insists on having their say now or not listening at all because they have it all figured out, whereas a cool-spirited person, an even-tempered person, is someone who is calm, someone who is patient. Um, to put another way, the wise, Solomon is saying, uh, know that what they have to say might be true. It might be absolutely crucial but at the end of the day, they know that God is in charge and only He can open hearts. Um, which that's been a theme throughout our relationship series, hasn't it been? It's kind of been re- recurring, whether we've been talking about forgiveness or intentionality, uh, uh, loving in balance. You know, we, we are called to uh, speak truth when it is a loving thing. Yes, we are. But at the end of the day, we can't control how the other person is going to react or receive that. All we can focus on is the love, the humility. The, the care, even as there's truth there, because ultimately at the end of the day, we can't change the other person. God can only change. Um, and so we need to uh, be cool-spirited, and the wise will restri- be res- uh, use restraint in their speech. Here's what one a scholar said, in case you want to get real practical in terms of understanding it. He said the three reasons can be found, three reasons can be found for the praise of calmness, that is the cool-spirit thought. Uh, first, it allows for a fair hearing. You see that in verse 13, by the way. Second, it allows tempers to cool. And third, its influence is potent. While we see in, in chapter 25, a gentle tongue can break a bone. Uh, it's amazing to me that Jesus never gave way to unrestrained or inflamed speech. Even when he was under the greatest affliction or the greatest provocation, he would not give way to it. But what's more important is Jesus is not just an example to aspire to. The promise is, if we are followers of his, if we receive what he's done for us, he offers the Holy Spirit. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, boy, I'm, I'm of the cool and hot-tempered person. I'm more the hot-tempered type person. There's hope for you because you can ask the Lord to help you. God is in the business of giving you His Spirit and along with Him, uh, His Spirit, the, the inner love to help you in these times. Um, so what do these verses mean? What, what can we kind of extract from them? Um, it seems to me, uh, on the one hand, we could say uh, our feelings are there. Of course, our feelings are there. Um, they can work us up, but, our, but we don't have to be controlled by our feelings. We don't have to be controlled by our feelings. The wise person restrains his or herself while the fool goes ahead and blurts things out. If you ever blurt something out, you wish you're like, wish I could. Yes, we've all been there. Okay. You know what I've come to realize is there are actually moments, very few, I wish there were more for me. I wish I could catch this more often. But there are moments for me when I'm kind of like at the precipice of, I can either go the way of blurting something out or holding it, not speaking. And I've gone this route enough to know that usually that doesn't work out too well. It could be good, it could be true, but, but if I'm going to, usually, it, I've, but there's times, I've, I've found that there's times where I'm sitting here, I'm like, oh, I can decide. And you know what I'm taking away from this text, these verses, like, wisdom errs on this side. Wisdom errs on the side, I just want to hold it. Uh, I'm not thinking I'm going to be perfect at that, but that's, that's a helpful thought for me. 
Um, another thought here is, it, look, it, sometimes it's better not to talk. That's not to say we don't talk, okay, obviously. But in listening first, it helps us to talk better when the time calls for it. I think that's, I think that's what, what Solomon's saying. Sometimes it's better not to talk. Here's a reason why, uh, to press in further. But words can be destructive. Words can be destructive. Verse 6 of chapter 18, book of Proverbs, the lips of fools bring them strife, and, the, and their mouths invite a beating. The mouths of fools are their undoing, and their lips are a snare to their very lies. And then verse 21, the real kicker here, the tongue has the power of life and death. You know, I first read that, I'm like, that sounds a little extreme, but I think if we think about it, that's actually pretty true. Words can have the power of, of life and death even. There's destructive power between, behind our words. Any of you guys watch Jimmy Kimmel? The, what's, it, what's his show called? Jimmy Kimmel Live? Is that what he calls his show? The kind of his late night show. He does a little bit on there called um, Celebrities Read Mean Tweets About Themselves. Have you seen this? Maybe you don't watch the show, but you've seen the YouTube clip. And what he does is he has all these... These celebrities come. He's done a number of times. Uh, you know, he'll have about a dozen celebrities come in because he's in the L.A. area. He can do that. And he'll, they'll, they'll have them sit in front of a camera. They'll extend them like, a, I don't know, a mobile device. And I'm pretty sure these guys are reading the tweets like for the first time in front of the camera, right? Because their responses are pretty genuine. And they'll read it. And you know what people will tweet out there. It'll be something like making fun of like a past career choice that everybody was like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that role or, you know, or even stuff like, like making fun of physical attributes that they're known for, all that kind of, just the whole gamut. And um, for the most part, when these celebrities read these tweets, uh, they, they take it in good fun and, you know, it's like, you know, tweet like, oh, I think, you know, Chris Pratt, you're stupid. And Chris Pratt looks up at the camera, you're stupid or, you know, it's kind of like the general flow of the whole thing. But I'll tell you guys, every once in a while, if you watch these things, there will be a celebrity who reads one, and it's like, are they about to cry? Like, I'm serious. Like, I'm just, I'm just sitting here like, I probably shouldn't be watching this. Um, and you wouldn't blame them if they did cry. Because words cut, don't they? They just kind of get, there's, there's, it's incredible to consider this destructive power of words. We can sit down and, and in 30 seconds tweet off 15 words and, like, emotionally hurt someone we'll never know. Um, and then I start to think about all the online posts we do on Facebook or wherever it might be, and just to consider how much it can impact people, uh, not, not only just like out there in the ether world, but also in our own social circles. Solomon is saying you are not wise unless you fully grasp the power of words. You need to grasp the, the power of words. Back in chapter 12, verse 18, he says it this way, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. They can cut to our heart. They can cut to our soul. And this is a helpful illustration because the, the words are hurtful. It's like when you, you, get, you get stabbed by a sword, like hopefully you, you heal, but there's a scar that remains. It's like you can't really necessarily take it back. And then looking at our text today in verse 21 of chapter 18, he goes further to say words, or that is, he says, actually, that the tongue has the power of life and death. We know that words have been the triggers for murders, suicides, actual wars, but you don't even have to get that extreme about it. I mean, I was reading an online post of a gal who was reflecting on the power of words in her life. She had a friend who betrayed her in a major way, okay, in a major way. And after a while, she got to go and talk to this former friend and ask her why she did this to her. And her friend said this, you, I, I've tried, I, I tried to love you, but you're just such a hard person to love. And she's reflecting on that. She's like, oh, my goodness, these words for years have basically ruined me from the inside out. And she admitted that she had allowed them to have too much power on her life, um, but still, the, the, the power of, of words can be really destructive. I wonder how many of us carry words 
in us that have had a, a similar effect in our lives, or words that we've said to others that perhaps have had a similar effect. It's worth considering these things, Solomon is saying, because it helps us understand that there's great wisdom in not being so quick to speak. But if we're going to be quick to anything, it's to be quick to listen. Uh, he's helping us see that when we, we speak, we can choose not the power of death in our words, but the power of life. By the way, whether it's received well or not. Last thought here as we've just been making our way through is uh, Solomon does what we'll call, uh, encourages us towards what we'll call uh, active listening. He encourages us to practice active listening. If you look at verse 4, the words of the mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. Uh, I love the ocean. I love the ocean. I love the deep waters. Uh, ever since I was a little guy, my parents would take, take me out, my, my siblings out on, on the sailing boat. Love it. Uh, just being out there on the ocean, there's a power there. There's a beauty there. there. It can be scary. You know, for every wonderful dream of the ocean when I was growing up, I'd have a nightmare. Um, there's, there's power, there's a beauty. It can be scary, but there's also a mystery there. Um, a lot of you guys know, probably you've heard it said, that we know more about the moon than we know about our ocean's deep. Have you heard that? That we've discovered actually very little, we've explored very little of the ocean's deep. Um, that's not saying that everything, you know, Solomon's saying the words of the mouth are deep waters. He's not saying everything that comes out of our mouth is like deep, okay? Those of you guys watch Anchorman, I love lamp. He's not saying everything we say is not like, whoa, you know. He's saying that when we get it, there's times when we're expressing our feelings maybe. We're expressing an opinion that, it, you know, it feels like whether it's articulated poorly or it's articulated really well, there's something going on underneath. There's a there's more probably going on underneath. And what he's saying is the wise will be listening for it and try to coax it out. Uh, they'll try to understand it. More broadly, verse 15 of chapter 18, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge. For the ears of the wise seek it out. And then more specifically, a parallel text in chapter 20, the purpose of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. We need to practice active listening. Good listening, therefore, it seems to me, uh, seeks to ask uh, uh, perceptive questions, okay? If you look at it, the fool is the one in verse 2, takes no pleasure in understanding, but only expresses their own opinion. Good listening, on the other hand, it seems to me, is asking perceptive, open-ended questions that don't necessarily tee up yes or no answers, um, but gently probes beneath the surface, watching carefully, probably, for nonverbal communication, um, not so much interrogating or prying details that the speaker doesn't want to share, but humbly drawing out a point of view and, and, and to give fresh perspective with thoughtful, genuine questions. Um, it's like the horse whisperer. You remember that? Um, I'm not a huge fan of using animal illustrations. You guys know like baby whispers. I mean, these are people who just like, they just connect with babies. And you're like, how is this, what's this connection going on here? And how'd you do that? Um, I feel like what Solomon's saying is that's the case with good listening. I think there's all, we probably each have someone in our life, at least one, who's just an incredibly good listener. They just ask questions. That's not to say that they're, they're uh, you know, uh, agreeing with everything we say, right? Um, but they are listening, and they're helping coax things out and helping us understand uh, things, either for the, for the relationship's sake or for, for us as we're working through something. I think that's what Solomon's talking about. We need to uh, we, this is the case for us in, 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 in listening. We need, to, we need to try to listen actively. Some of us are better at it than others, but all of us can grow in it. All of us can look for it. All of us can search it out. 
Um, so the question is, will we? Will we? High level, I think this is what Solomon is saying here in this text uh, as we bring all these cluster of, of sayings together. There are many times that listening can actually be the greater service than speaking. Now, again, I want to emphasize that doesn't mean we don't speak. We did a whole message on that, speaking truth and love, right? Um, but, there are, but listening can be, at many times, a greater service than speaking. I love how Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor who was actually ultimately martyred uh, in Nazi Germany for, for trying to help uh, the, the Jews. Uh, he said this, the first service that one owes to others in fellowship consists in listening to them. Just as love to God begins with listening to His Word, so the beginning of love for the brethren is learning to listen to them. It is God's love for us that He not only gives us His Word, but also lends us His ear. So it is His work that we do for our brother when we learn to listen to Him. Christians so often think they must always contribute something when they are in the company of others, that this is the one service they have to render. They forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. Many people are looking for an ear that will listen. I love how he puts this. It's, it is God's love for us that he not only gives us his word, but God also lends us his ear. Um, look, whatever excuse we might give for not offering the gift of listening, whether it's with a significant other, whether it's with a coworker, whether it's with a roommate, whatever it might be, uh, whatever the excuse we might have, if we are a follower of Jesus the excuse at the end of the day actually falls kind of flat. Because let's say the excuse is, well, I'm just too drained to have, you know, I don't want no stinking deep water conversation. It's just too draining to have that conversation. Or maybe it's I'm too busy, or maybe it's they don't deserve to be listened to. They're not listening to me, or whatever it might be. Um, those excuses all fall flat because the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is he came and he could have used any one of those examples in an infinite more number and not listen to our cries for mercy that we just sang of. And yet we just sang, I love you, Lord. He, you heard my cry. You heard my voice. To think that God listens to us, lends us his ear, and gives us his word, choosing to actively love us in this way. Uh, he did this because He loves us. And so He wants us to choose not to be foolish, to put it negatively, to choose wisdom in this. In other words, if we, if we seek to grow in this, it'll go better for us. It'll go better for our relationships, things that we obviously care so much about. But more pointedly, He's, he's saying choose the loving thing, and that is to work towards it even as it, it might be hard. Listening is the key to effective communication. It's critical to relationships. Um, we might need to grow in it, but it, and if that's you, take heart. You can. Boy, I'm taking heart in that. Uh, this is something I, I'm growing in. I need to grow in. Um, but as we move in this, it might be a struggle to be a good listener. He'll help you. He'll help you. For Solomon concludes, the tongue has the power of life as it does death, and those who love it will eat its fruit, meaning those who commit themselves to growing in this regard with his help, he will help, and he will bless. He will take care of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the relationships that you've given to us, um, whether it's with a significant other or in the community or, you know, at home with roommates or whatever. Thank you for those relationships. We do recognize that sometimes they can be hard. Sometimes they can be messy. Um, and frankly, it can be hard to listen. Um, 
Lord, would you help us in this way, in our interpersonal relationships, in, our, in this church community, this family? Would you help us to grow and listen? And would you help us ultimately draw from your love for us? Because the fact of the matter is we don't do a great job at this, but you've done this for us that we might start extending that to others. And so, Lord, we thank you for listening to us. Our cries for mercy. Lord, you love us. You take care of us. You listen to us. Would you help us do that for others? Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.